You guys can grab a, a seat. Uh, my name is Andrew, and I'm one of the pastors here at Awaken. Uh, good to get, have you guys here, and we are in week two of a series uh, called Undercover Church. And the, the series goal is to look at how does a church form? How does a church become planted? And our goal is to, to just narrow in on one church in one city in the ancient world, Philippi. And so a couple weeks ago, we looked at how a team came to Philippi and started a church. But I wanted to do something a little different this morning because we, we can teach and we can preach, but our faith wasn't passed down to us in, in set teachings. Our, our faith was passed down to us in stories. And so I, I'd love to do this morning is invite you guys to use your imagination with me as I tell a story. Lean in. There's not going to be any slides on the PowerPoint. Lean in and imagine what it would have been like to be part of a brand new church starting in the ancient world. Let's begin. Call me Lydia. Some years ago, never mind how long precisely, having far too much money and the only real pursuit in life available to me was the increase of more wealth and more social status, I decided to turn to religion. First, I, I worshiped the emperor. After all, he, he was the source of my wealth. You see, only an imperial permit allowed for the collection of murex shells. What are murex shells, you may ask? They're small, ocean snails. When collected and subsequently beaten and crushed, produce a purple dye. Such colorful dye cannot be replicated with plant roots or essential oils, though some try. The dye from muric shells produces the deepest hue of lavender, fit only for senatorial robes of Roman senators or the wealthy togas of Roman women. Tiberius Caesar himself issued the merchant permit to allow me to collect these shells. He issued this permit to me after my husband died in one of his military campaigns to increase the borders of the empire. My husband was a tribune in the legions, and yes, I'm a widow. But I'm a widow with the full rights and privileges of Roman citizenship. After my husband died, I began business in Thyatira, a small city in Asia Minor, but business was tough. You can possibly imagine how tough. A woman merchant, alone, in the business world dominated by men. Against all odds and with a lot of hard work, I rose to prominence after several years. And I decided to move my business headquarters to Philippi, which was a new Roman colony with far more economic opportunities and to be honest, I, I think I moved because I didn't want to keep imagining and thinking about the life that I would have had with my husband in this small city. In Philippi, I turned to numerous Greek goddesses, Artemis mainly, out of fear. She'd already brought the death 
of my husband to me, and, and she was the patron goddess in charge of defending women, and so I didn't want any more misfortunes to happen to me, and so I, I worshiped Artemis. I also turned to Isis, an Egyptian goddess, for protection and safety. As a wealthy merchant, I contributed sizable donations to both their temples, along with small vials of murex dye. But after several years, I, I felt empty. I was one of the wealthiest women in the city with a large household, a sizable merchant fleet, and business contacts all over the Mediterranean. But worship to the gods for continued protection and prosperity just didn't seem to satisfy anymore. And the temples, all they wanted was the same thing. They wanted a yearly sacrifice and another sizable monetary contribution. I still do those things, but last year I started meeting several other women, mainly widows or divorced free women outside of the city. I met them to learn about the one true God. You see, several of the women were Jews who believed in only one God, which was a weird notion, but I was curious. Our city was openly hostile to members of this ancient religion, the Jews, but I was moved by pity to, to just be with them. And maybe I just wanted a support group. I was a widow as well. And so I sat with them, and I learned about their history, their religion, their psalms, their beliefs. Soon I considered myself one of them. But my prayer for the last several months has been really simple. God of the Jews, if you are real, show yourself to me. I just felt like I had another religion. And even though it was true and it was meeting needs, I felt as if it was just another religion. Maybe you've prayed this prayer as well for God to show himself to you. Honestly, I was ready to give up, but one day on the, on the Sabbath, and yes, I follow their strange practice called the Sabbath of, of taking one day off during the week to rest and pray and sing psalms to God. Yahweh, they call him in their tongue. Anyways, one day we gathered by the river to pray as we typically do. And this time four men joined us. One was a rabbi named Paul of Antioch who was formerly known as Saul of Tarsus. The Jews called all their greatest teachers rabbis. The other was his traveling companion, Silas. The third member was Timothy. And he was their disciple or, or Talmudine, as they say in Hebrew. And last, the fourth member was Luke, and he was a Greek doctor. And they shared a message by the river that changed my life. Paul shared the story about seeing this figure named Jesus of Nazareth, the crucified but resurrected Messiah, the Son of God. And Paul began to explain from the Hebrew scriptures how Jesus was God's only son and his life and his miracles and his teachings were proof that the king of the Jews had arrived and had brought good news. And the good news was salvation to the whole world. All nations could have a relationship with God by believing in his son. And as Paul shared this message, I felt my heart open up and believe. This is no longer a religion asking for a yearly sacrifice or money. 
but this was a faith that was made real by a person. And I felt that I had a relationship. With incredible excitement, I asked if I could bring the members of my household to come hear the same message. I hurried home, and, and later that morning, with my household around me, I made the decision, confirming to all of them and to the city, to Philippi, that I was a follower of the way. I was baptized in the Cremides River, a river flowing outside of the city, a river that I've been praying at for the last year to encounter God. I'd finally encountered him. Along with me, several members of my household were also baptized. No longer was I now primarily a Roman citizen, but I was now a citizen of the city to come as promised by Paul. Immediately, I invited Paul and his traveling companions to stay in my home. In fact, I insisted. I persuaded them to live alongside us and teach us, and every week we gathered by the river to pray and hear teachings from Paul. Many of them were about Jesus and how he loved all members of society, not just the elite and the privileged. It was important for Jesus to teach the kingdom and the good news to children and to women, to paralytics and to lepers. I also learned of Paul's checkered past and murderous hate towards Christians until the Christ blinded him on the road to Damascus. And after he was healed of his blindness, he too was baptized. Next, he began to teach that Jesus who the Jews convicted and tried, and who the Romans executed was the Christ. And not only did Paul teach us this message, but he also taught that the Hebrew scriptures foretold of this Messiah. One week, a poor slave girl, and really she was exploited by so-called vile businessmen. One week, she started following us. And And she was trafficked sexually for profit. But she also made strange predictions. And she began to follow us and scream behind us. And really, it was quite a sight. And we didn't know what to do. But she followed us and screamed, these men are the slaves of the Most High God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. She did this over and over until Paul finally, full of the Holy Spirit, turned around and said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. Right away, she was silenced. I could tell she was confused and in a state of fragile mental health. And so I rushed to her and I put my arms around her I told her that she would have a family and a home in my household. And I couldn't help but wonder if maybe I would have a chance to to raise a young woman as a daughter. And so I wrapped my purple cloak around her, and she was dressed in very revealing garments. Her head was shaved. These were signs, of course, in our world that, that she was a prostitute and available for hire. They were humiliating marks. But I wrapped her in my cloak, 
And several days later, after all the commotion had died down, I asked Paul. I said, Paul, why, why did you silence her? Paul simply shared that Jesus had come to liberate captives. And that she was a captive to men bent on her exploitation and a spirit of demonic influence bent on destroying her life. And Christ had come to liberate her. But her proclamation of salvation of the Most High God could have been to any God. But Paul shared by commanding the spirit in her in the name of Jesus Christ to come out, this was a way to demonstrate that Christ was more powerful than the spirits in the city. If only Paul had known what trouble this would cause. You see, the commotion I mentioned earlier, well, I wrapped my arms around this poor, trembling, and now freed slave girl and turned to take her home with me when Paul and Silas, they were seized. They were seized by the owners of this slave girl and seeing their lucrative business venture evaporate, they dragged Paul and Silas into the middle of the agora. In your language, is just called the middle of their mall or their marketplace. And in front of the city officials and the magistrates, they accused Paul and Silas of adopting practices unfit for Romans. Without a hearing and urged by the mob, the magistrates beat Silas with rods over and over again. I watched as, as canes, wooden canes, were beaten into the backs of these men, at first causing bruises and welts, but then splitting the skin, then blood flowing freely from their backs. They threw them into jail, and I, I watched from a distance, from afar. I was too afraid to intervene. I would have been one woman against a mob. I still do not know why Paul and Silas did not just stop the beating right then and tell the mob and the city officials that they too were Roman citizens and that this was illegal in a Roman colony. Maybe when Paul visits next, I will ask him, why didn't they? I rushed home with my silent companion. She was so young and frail, trembling with exhaustion. I gathered my household and told Timothy and Luke what had transpired. We were scared. Luke, although, he began to recount an earlier story that he had heard from Paul about God opening up the jail cell of another important disciple named Peter in Jerusalem. And that was Luke. He was always the historian, always trying to collect scraps of information about Jesus he wanted to write a book, an account of Jesus. But Timothy, always the more practical one, suggested that we pray. We prayed for several hours. None of us were tired. We just kept on praying that God would perform a miracle. And suddenly the ground began to shake and all of us feared for our very lives. As quickly as it began, though, the trembling of the earth ceased, and we stopped praying, and several of us swore that we could have heard singing.
but not just any singing, Hebrew psalms and hymns being sung. And we thought this was just a weird occurrence. We were so tired and exhausted that we went to bed. The next morning, as our household gathered, one of my errand boys, he burst in. And he shared that Paul and Silas had been released from prison and they were now coming to my home. Both of them arrived and came in to my home. And Luke, the doctor, the physician, was immediately concerned about their injuries from the mob and the beatings. But Paul and, and Silas showed them their cleaned wounds, that they were bandaged and dressed. And all of us were in a state of confusion and shock until Paul began to tell us their story. After being thrown in jail and locked up, Bleeding and broken. They began to sing. And the other prisoners marveled, but listened, for here were these men with open wounds on their back, praising and singing to their God. And it made no sense to them. Because in our world, if, if something unfortunate happened to you, you were being punished by the gods. You weren't thankful. But here these men were thankful that they had suffered for their God. And through the explanation of their songs, Paul taught the Hebrew scriptures and the story of the Messiah to these prisoners. And as he was teaching, immediately, the same earthquake that we felt began to cause the prison to shake. Plaster and mortar fell. The doors of the prison were opened and the chains were broken. And as soon as the chains were broken, the earthquake stopped. And Paul shared how the jailer, who was a, a correctional officer employed by the city, how he rushed over, how he stumbled out of his home with his sword, and seeing the doors open, he prepared to impale himself on his own sword. For perhaps if he killed himself, his family would go free and not be killed as well. You see, in, in our world, we have a, a really simple rule about how to guard prisoners. One person is put in charge of guarding the prisoners. And if any prisoners escape, that person in charge is killed. And so the jailer would rather kill you as a prisoner than to risk death for himself and for his family. Also, the jailer wasn't, didn't have to provide anything for you. He just had to guard you and make sure you did not escape. And so Paul saw him draw his sword and get ready to fall on it. And he yelled from the prison, don't harm yourself. The jailer heard the voice and he, he came into the inner prison and he looked around and he saw that not a prisoner was missing. And he knew why these men, he knew why they were in jail. He knew why they were locked up. And he looked at Paul and he said, sir, what must I do to be saved? And Paul said to him, looking at him, 
in his eyes, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you'll be saved, you and your household. And next, Paul and Silas share this message that they shared with me by the river a few weeks ago. The jailer and his entire household believed and were baptized. And as a man familiar with inflicting wounds on prisoners, he was also familiar with helping to heal those wounds. And he took Paul and Silas and he washed their wounds and he cleansed them and he put healing ointment on them and he wrapped them in bandages and then he fed them. No jailer would ever do this for a prisoner. But the same Lord that I believe in, he believed in. And this Lord had changed his heart. Next, Paul told us how the city magistrates had come to escort them from the city and to ask them to leave the region. And at this time, Paul shared that it was unnecessary for them to do so because he was a Roman citizen. Immediately, these so-called powerful politicians of our city begin to tremble and shake with fear because they knew the consequences. If they tried a Roman or if they beat a Roman without a hearing, without a fair trial, that they would fall under the same punishment that they inflicted upon him. And so Paul asked to stay in the city for a few more days. And the magistrates apologized and left. Paul and his team stayed with us in my house, teaching us the scriptures and encouraging us to be a new colony of the way, a called out group. In Greek, this, this word is ecclesia, but translated into your tongue, it means church. Again, my name is Lydia, and this is how the church in Philippi was founded. Our small gathering consists of two households, a freed slave girl, several older widows. Paul, Silas, and Timothy are now traveling to Thessalonica to share the message. And Luke, our beloved doctor, is staying here to teach us more about this Jesus, to teach us more about the way, to share with us the many stories that he has collected already. Our small ecclesia is also supporting Paul as he travels. And the emptiness of my life has been filled with purpose. You see, my home and household is now the site and the gathering of our ecclesia. And my wealth and business contacts scattered all over the Roman world are now supporting and helping Paul advance the singular message that good news comes through Jesus Christ, not through Caesar. Lydia's account is found in Acts 16. I want to encourage you guys to read this um, sometime this week as we prepare. Um, it will be our Holy Week this week. But I encourage you guys just to read one chapter, Acts 16. Her story is true. And I pray that as I shared some imaginative details with you, 
that Scripture became a little bit more alive. Because our faith, again, doesn't come through us in, in PowerPoints or, or teachings or mantras. Our faith comes to us through a story, and a story about Jesus Christ and how he laid down his life for us. So I'd love to ask you to think about how did you first hear the message? Has your heart been opened up to believe as Lydia's heart was? If, um, if you're not sure about that, or if you want to ask questions, one of the things that we're doing um, for the next several weeks is we're just going to be opening up um, these um, sides of the stage for prayer. So if you're curious about faith, if you're curious about what it looks like to believe, um, you can just meet me or one of the other pastors um, over here. Um, or if you just like to pray for something, you have a need um, that's on your heart, we'd love to, to pray with you. But next week, we're going to continue the story of Philippi and the greatest story, Easter, how Christ rose from the dead. I wanted to share this story, this undercover story, because how do people believe? Others share the story with them. Just like Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke shared the story with Lydia by a river, just like they shared the story by releasing the captive slave girl, and just like they shared the story while captured and bleeding and broken, suffering in a jail cell. These are the undercover stories that comprise our faith. These are the undercover stories that are going on throughout the world as our faith spreads. These are the undercover stories that start the church. And last, I'd love to ask you, have you asked yourself, Lydia's life, was transformed and changed. All of her experience and commerce and wealth and household now went towards expanding the little colony of heaven, the little church in Philippi, known as part of the way. We are also part of the way. We're also part of the church. And how is your life been transformed? And how are you helped growing and colonizing and building the church? Not because it's a forcible thing required by a religion, but because of the joy in your heart at being set free. Christ has come to liberate the captives, and you were the captives. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your grace and your goodness. We thank you that you have liberated us. We thank you that you have started your church, that you are building your church, and that you have invited us to help colonize this world with love and good news and hope, that you've invited us into your mission of proclaiming freedom and liberation to the captives. May we do so, God, 
And may we, like Lydia, arrange our lives and households to further your kingdom and your message in your church. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ.